Hello again and welcome to the latest episode of the Replatform Podcast with myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. Mr. Rogers, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. A little bit more energetic than when we spoke earlier. Um, but yeah, getting uh, two days into the uh, new year. Two days into the new year, one day into the lockdown. It's a <laughs> it's the gift that keeps giving. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be yeah, a bit easier this time around when we're nearing the end. Yes, I've had, I've had fun already today balancing teaching my daughter French, reading with my son, uh, keeping my dog entertained and not losing my sanity. So uh, let's see how long I can last. Sounds like a lovely day. It is. It's like my family and other animals. It's wicked. It is good, though. Um, OK, so today we have a, a fun topic we're going to chat about. It's January and we're talking about the tools and technology that e-commerce teams should be using and should consider for, for managing sales and promotion cycles. So let's do a quick scene setting before we get into it. So sales periods and tactical discounting are fundamental to e-commerce, especially in highly competitive markets like high street retail. January is typically a month for sales growth as retailers look to use promotional tactics to clear old stock and prepare for new seasons. It's it's usually slower than December for most retailers. But interestingly, last year, e-commerce sales grew by 13.9% during January 2020 versus the prior December, which is the lowest decline between December to January in five years. So January uh, last year was, was a pretty buoyant time for e-commerce sales. And we'd be expecting it to be probably more buoyant this year, given the fact that, especially in the UK, we're in another lockdown and the high streets are going to suffer in comparison to online shopping. So in the con- with that as our context, and with retailers looking for how they can maximise customer acquisition sales revenue in January, we want to talk around six key areas for tools and technology that e-commerce teams can and should be using and talk about some of the uh, vendors and suppliers in that space. So the areas are product recommendations, which includes the personalization element, product bundling for average order value, basket abandonment campaigns, loyalty, overlays and exit intent, and then chat tools and bots. And if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about um, some elements of lifecycle marketing within that. So with that in mind, Paul, let's go into product recommendations. And I've seen loads of stats on this, but you know, including conversion rate of visitors who click on uh, product recommendation slots uh, is up to five and a half times those who don't click on them. And the average website revenue generated from product recommendations is 12% of, of all revenue. So some compelling reasons why recommendations work. So what, what is your advice around uh, recommendations tools and uses of them yeah absolutely yeah so um so i'll start off um just kind of listing out a few of the vendors that are commonly used so at the enterprise end of the market you've got people like attract bloomridge monetate uh nostra have moved up market a bit recently um rich relevance qubit brilliance um and there's various other ones um and then in the kind of mid more at the mid market you've got people like nostra fresh relevance um Clerk, and then there's various other ones. And I think Nosto is probably one of the more mainstream ones, and it's certainly the one that I've had the most um, experience with. Um, and then just in terms of kind of prioritizing and recommendations, so I think that ease of management is one of the most important things, if not the most important. I think you could have the most advanced kind of AI uh, possible, but if you can't really then manage it and kind of blend in business logic and stuff like that, um, you're not going to get the most out of the product. So I think it's important to get to work with a tool that's kind of very manageable, has a very clean, um, intuitive UI um, and kind of allows for that kind of mix of business logic and um, automation. 
Uh, and then also there will be people that actually, you know, what just want to manage things manually in a lot of cases and, you know, go over third party for reporting benefit and things like that. So um, you want something that's kind of easy to use and kind of has those kind of features built in. Um, lots of, uh, there are lots of different suppliers as well that are quite niche. So for example, one that I've worked with a little bit recently is Rebuy, um, which is a Shopify specific, uh, solution. Um, but it's got some really nice features. So it's a bit more focused on the cart and checkout, I would say, and like their propositions geared around kind of incremental revenue. So they do things like bundling, they do one click, uh, subscription upsells. They do, they have like a native slot within the Shopify checkout. They do post-purchase, um, product recommendations um, and kind of various other things around that. Um, so they're, they're quite a nice solution that I've enjoyed working with. Um, and then another thing to really kind of, I guess, think about when you're selecting a vendor is kind of how well integrated it is. So if you are working with a platform like Shopify or big commerce increasingly, um, you know, if um, a recommendations engine integrates with solutions like Clavio or Recharge or even Nacelle and Shogun now with Shopify, um, you're probably going to be able to get more data within that product um, and also push more data into third parties and generally get more value from the product. Um, and then in terms of kind of trends as well, so uh, Magento are rolling out Adobe Sensei at the moment, which is relatively basic compared to some of the third parties, but it's quite a nice thing to have as an option if you're using Magento Commerce and it kind of combines business logic and automation. Um, and then Shopify relatively recently introduced a product recommendations API, um, which isn't too bad and can kind of be utilized um, and gives you quite a good like base offering. Um, yeah, and then a new trend in this space is people looking for kind of more from the product recommendation solution, I guess. So looking at kind of being able to use the logic and the um, kind of machine learning and personalization within the category grid um, or for things like bundling as well. Um, and then costs. So for these third parties can vary from anywhere from £250 a month to £10,000 a month in my experience for kind of maybe um, a certain level of SMB upwards. Um, and then one last trend that I've seen is a lot of people doing post-purchase recommendations, which I think is quite a nice uh, thing to be looking at or to have within your roadmap. Um, and particularly in Shopify, there's loads of vendors in this space. So you've got people like Carthook and Recart, which are kind of some of the more mainstream providers. And then a solution that I really like the look of that's quite new that was introduced by someone called Gil Greenberg um, is, um, so it's actually called uh, store recon so store recon was his old product um, and then he's kind of moved towards this um, post-purchase recommendation solution that's quite uh, again it's quite easy to use quite simple quite lean um, and it allows for like rule-based recommendations and you can uh, push things like free samples as well so yeah I was quite impressed with that and it's quite affordable as well um, yeah and then that's it and then kind of what are your top tips of in product recommendations James? Uh, so I, well, I think you've covered them actually. So to pull out the key things that you said, so number one is looking at the integration and looking at the impact on site performance of that integration, server-side integrations help uh, loads rather than the client-side ones in terms of page speed and avoiding like n nasty flickers as recommendations load. Um, making sure you've understood the user interface of how the business will use it day to day to set up campaigns and change any merchandising rules in there. Uh, you know, making sure that you can actually manage it and it doesn't take up too much time and bandwidth. 
And the, the last bit that you said, which I think is really important, is think out the box. Don't just be, here's a product list page, here's recommendations. I like the one you said, which is post-purchase, using a personalised recommendation engine to do post-purchase uh, recommendations to try and entice people back and to increase their, their, their spend. I think those three. And then my, the one I'd add on top is, if you are introducing a recommendations engine, A-B test it against your standard list page to validate that it's creating an incremental impact and not just substituting sales. Because one of the biggest risks of recommendations is you just substitute the sale to products you stick at the top and you're not actually adding uh, any value to it. So do that. Those are my key ones. Um, Marvellous. So on to the next topic, product bundles. I know that you're particularly keen on, on the impact of bundling. Uh, it's a proven way of driving average order value. Native platforms have some basic capabilities for doing product sets and bundles. Uh, I know platforms like Magento have a lot more capability of doing configurable product sets. So I'm keen to hear what you think good looks like for bundles and what your advice is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it feels like um, everyone's kind of looking at bundling at the moment in different forms. Um, so a number of our clients have introduced different types of bundles recently. And one of the uh, interesting things that I stole from someone from our page team um, the other day was one of our clients uh, well, one of our clients said top selling product in Q4 was a bundle that had been created solely for gifting and they were like a skincare retailer. Um, but I thought that was quite interesting and it's something that could, I think we some of our other clients have applied, but um, I think it could apply across most um, industries. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. And then uh, some of the other or some of the forms of bundles, I guess. So you could have kind of um, grouped or bundles that combine different types of products like that example there. Um, and then you could have things like quantity bundles. Uh, so we just did um, packs of four t-shirts, for example, with a client, um, which have done particularly well um, recently. Um, and CDLP is a really cool brand that I think is a really good example of this. So they have kind of fixed products um, and then they also have a call to action to uh, for kind of quantity upselling. Um, and then they offer like a line item discount. And, um, and I guess that that's another important thing with bundling is thinking about how they're kind of structured and making sure that you essentially build the bundles in a way that aligns with your kind of inventory management, your warehouse management, and you've kind of got different stakeholders bought in. So for example, um, if you wanted to uh, do a bomb skew, um, you need to get your kind of uh, the various different stakeholders around your kind of ERP and yeah, those areas. Um, involved um, and one of our clients recently we've had to kind of uh, do initially we launched a fixed bundle um, and then we essentially ring fence stock um, within the warehouse and had to create a new SKU because there were limitations around um, Magento's bundle product and how that worked with a piece of middleware we were using um, we've had loads of issues in this space but I mean there are also other routes you can go down with um, well with any platform but a lot of people do it in Shopify where you can essentially um, kind of have a bundle proposition and then you could just add uh, different products to cart and then apply line item discounts, for example. So it kind of simplifies the process from a back-end perspective. Um, so yeah, so, and then some really nice examples that I've seen recently um, of bundling. So uh, Glossier has a kind of uh, bundle builder or a set builder um, that works really nicely. Um, and again, that kind of adds um, each of the individual products to cart separately and just applies the discount across each line item. Um, and then um, Outdoor Voices have something that works in the same way with Shopify, um, where essentially you choose your um, top, you choose your leggings, and then you choose a t-shirt and it's kind 
kind of a really nice engaging implementation um, and then it's uh, applied in the same way. Um, and then the last trend that I wanted to mention in this as well, in terms of those kind of engaging builder slash bundle um, implementations is a, is a big trend at the moment in people kind of taking this functionality out of the platform and kind of building the kind of configuration element within like a React or Vue app um, that kind of gives you a bit more control around the product setup. So kind of manipulating um, what's actually happening in the background um, and then also kind of making it a bit uh, cleaner and faster on the front end as well. So you don't have to think about things like variant limits in Shopify um, and kind of switching between different products and all of that kind of stuff. Excellent. Yeah, I like the the, the the point you made about the product configurators. I've seen that used well. I remember doing some training with, with JD Williams' team a while back, um, the, the, the M Brown group in general, and they have re a really good capability of, of like outfitting selection where you can you know mix and match but what's great about it is the is then the ongoing impact it can have on bundles is if if people can choose like i select a top i select trousers i select shoes you can see popular bundles that people buy together and you can then create specific SKUs for those and push those into like marketing and merchandising because you know that they're popular creations so sometimes you can use those configurations to then create specific SKUs. um nice my a couple of tips i would add on to this is is using that analytics data to select popular product combinations. Often you find people are buying things in combination, but you haven't thought about bundling them and making it easier for them to buy in one click. Um, test bundle pricing. It's not always about creating a, a discount. So don't always discount if you don't have to. Test whether uh, offering a discount or not has a significant enough impact on conversion rate. Sometimes you can find you don't have to do, um, you don't have to offer a saving, you can get an overall better revenue gain. And the last one is stock availability. I think you might have touched on it earlier. If you're sticking a product into a bundle, but it's got low stock, you could screw up your bundle sales, even if the other items have got a good stock availability. Um, Cool. So that's 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 the whistle stopper bundle. So the next one on our topic is the basket abandonment campaigns. So um, Baymod Institute uh, does aggregate stats on cart abandonment, and the average at the moment is about sixty eight percent. We all know there are reasons why some carts get abandoned. Not every person is ready to buy, but the reality is every site is losing sales if it does nothing with abandoned carts because those people who abandon could lose interest, get attracted by another brand through advertising, whatever it might be or do you know, comparison shopping and disappear into Amazon. So some platforms enable basic email notification triggers. In fact, most e-commerce platforms do. But to do more sophisticated segmentation and multi-touch approaches, you need customer experience platforms or specialist tools like Emarsis, Ametra, and Clavio, to name but three. Um, there are other um, uh, tools out there such as Yieldify, um, Keptify, Drip, and Privy. A lot of them have integrations with platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, Woo, etc. I think the key thing is it is not just to send the same thing to everybody. If you have quite a diverse product range, you might want to tailor your messaging based on the type of product. So high ticket complex products, tailor the messaging, tackle, you'll have different barriers to purchase, tackle those within the content rather than just doing a here's your basket, buy it. It, it needs to be a bit more encouraging and persuasive than that. So my top tips around basket abandonment are number one, make sure you're doing it. Number two, ensure you're using multi-phase. It does perform best. I've tested this and, and found three emails works. The ultimate for overall response rate, first email within an hour of abandonment, then the second after 24 hours, third after 48, vary your messaging, change your calls to action, and use customer service hooks to try and persuade people into action. Good example is offering live chat support. You know, speak to an expert, get, get your questions answered. 
Um, that worked very well on Sage uh, when we were doing uh, campaigns for recovery of, of software baskets. And then the other one for me is target anonymous visitors who don't have an email. So most campaigns work on capturing an email um, through like the, the checkout process or a login user, and then they send an email. Well, actually, a lot of users come in a non-registered uh, or non-logged in state, and they don't put an email because they ban on the basket page. So you need to use uh, sensible measures like an exit intent overlay. So if people are leaving before you've got their email address, put a panel, tell them you've saved their basket, offer them to get that basket sent to their email for easy reference, capture their email address, it's GDPR compliant, and then you can push them into your standard remarketing funnels. Um, that's my kind of top tips. And uh, where would you, um, anything you would add to that, Paul? I don't think so. Yeah, I think um, just adding to your point, I think, yeah, the more data you can pull in from uh, different providers as well. And yeah, kind of the more data you've got from what people are doing on site, the better and kind of gives you a bit more um, to, yeah, kind of personalise the campaigns and the timing and all of that kind of stuff. Definitely. Um, okay, cool. So let's move on to loyalty to drive retention. So how can you use loyalty mechanisms around sales cycles to push people to do more, basically? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess the first point is loyalty is kind of more than um, promotions and discounts. Um, it's about kind of rewarding people for kind of continuing to buy or continuing to uh, be loyal to your brand. Um, and a good discussion that we had earlier was around kind of positioning as well. So um, I was talking about kind of loyalty potentially or like some of our clients not seeing loyalty um, as something that's particularly relevant to them because they're a premium brand and they very much see it as kind of like a discount led activity. Um, whereas something like VIP um, kind of, um, uh, kind of VIP grouping essentially, or like having uh, activity that's geared around VIP customers based on spend or lifetime or um, quantity of orders, etc., and then kind of differentiating their on-site experience or giving them early access to sale or uh, giving them specific content or even um, kind of specific gifts, things like that, they would be open to. So I think. Um, kind of positioning is everything and loyalty isn't just about kind of discounts and referrals and that kind of stuff. Um, but overall, I think this type of activity is great for CRM and kind of reactivating customers and kind of bringing people back to the site, um, just generally kind of re-engaging customers. Um, and I think although it might not be suitable for luxury, uh, some of those kind of core triggers um, uh, particularly kind of um, helpful when it comes to re-engaging customers. So uh, things like referrals um, are really important and can perform really well. Um, yeah, kind of having some of those tiers and that kind of stuff. Um, a good example of um, loyalty that I really like is Neo Cocktails, which is a client of ours. Um, and they use Loyalty Line, which is quite a mainstream solution. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just very nicely positioned. The email comms are really nice and kind of very on brand. Um, and yeah, and I've continued to use it as I've kind of bought more from them over time. Um, in addition to Loyalty Line, you've also then got uh, vendors like Swell and Smile. So Swell is part of Yopo now and is kind of uh, quite tightly integrated with some of their other services. And then Smile is quite similar to um, Loyalty Line and they've been direct competitors for quite a while. Um, and then all three of those providers have really improved over the last three years in terms of their kind of APIs and they've all kind of got their own SDKs now and um, they all, all three of them allow for like multi-channel loyalty um, on top of just kind of online um, and I think there's a lot more you can do with those types of solutions. 
Excellent. Yeah, and I think your point that loyalty isn't just about discounting and points is a really important one. Not not just for premium, but definitely for high end brands. It, it, it suits better where they don't want their brand kind of degraded by the fact that it feels like it's just cheap cheap giveaways. But but equally. What, what drives people's behaviour isn't always just about getting something, um, uh, points or, or, or pounds off. Things like exclusive content or, or early release and you know, the new new, new um, um, ranges come out and the VIP segment gets you know, one week early release access to it as a uh, exclusive. Things like that can add value to somebody and drive that loyal behaviour. So it's about finding... Clear, it's about A, having clear segmentation criteria to, to know what a loyal customer looks like and B, finding those mechanisms that drive them towards more frequent behaviour, more positive actions on the site. And one key thing I'll leave here is for member get member or referral schemes, make sure you reward the referrer. I was approached by um, uh, my mobile uh, provider, Vodafone, with a you know, customer loyalty. You've been a loyal customer. I've been a business customer for over six years. And their reward to me was... Uh, if I referred them to other clients, so they would be winning new business contracts, which are about 40, 50 pound a month revenue to them upwards, the new person would get 10% off the first three months and I would get nothing for it. So my reward for being a loyal customer was to get nothing. Genius. So think through how your referral scheme resonates with the person you're asking to take action. Um, anything else you wanted to add in terms of top tip takeaway, Paul? Yeah, so one more thing, I guess, is just... Um I think a lot of people rush into loyalty and we've had a few clients that have done loyalty in the past and just ended up with like a big line on their balance sheet where there's like loads of outstanding um, kind of store credit or discounts or um, uh, gift cards, etc. Um, and I think it's a case of just like easing into it, getting everyone fully bought in and really thinking about how you proposition it, because I think it is an important thing that you can easily do a proof of concept think that it's not adding much value, but actually it's just not been done properly. Um, and then lastly, in terms of those kind of VIP orientated loyalty programs, I think two really nice examples of how they could be rolled out. Um, so Qubits have a really nice uh, kind of um, gift that they give to loyal customers every six months. So it's like a custom designed glasses cleaner, which I really like. And then uh, Cafe de Cyclist um, have um, like badges that they give to cyclists to sell onto their uh, jerseys, which I really like like as well and then Rafa is probably the holy grail in terms of building their kind of like club style uh, loyalty program nice examples excellent so let's move on to topic five overlays and exit intent and for anyone not familiar with the terminology exit intent is where somebody is showing a, a, an intent to leave your site so maybe on a mobile they've pressed into their browser bar or on a desktop mouse um, uh, you know they, they scrolled away from your website pane and you display content before they've actually left the site so very much maligned, and I've had discussions, arguments with people before who said that X intents are a waste of time and it's poor UX. I disagree. I've seen it work very well if the behaviour that you're trying to influence is properly understood and you create contextually relevant content. So a few things on it. Number one is understanding user behaviour on the site, what people are doing when they leave and why they're leaving, and targeting people who are leaving when they've got a higher propensity to purchase. So a good example of this, to just work with Sage, we looked at people who visited a software product, like an accountancy product, and visited the product page at least three times but hadn't added to basket. If someone visited once, it might just be an accidental click or they've seen a campaign but they're not that highly engaged. If they visited the same product page three times, 
then their engagement with that product is far higher and they're more likely to be persuaded. Then when they exit, we target them with USP-based content. So it's not just about giving discounts because you can just hemorrhage margin by throwing a discount at somebody. People might not yet be ready to buy, but you can tackle some of the reasons for them not to come back using that exit intent prompt. Interestingly, although um, use of X-Intent is really prevalent on e-commerce sites, uh, everyone would have seen overlays um, around various places, the installation of third parties in this has dropped a bit since 2019. And I think this is primarily because platforms have got better capability of doing basic overlays within them and doing triggers, but also front-end devs' ability to, to build out scripted overlays and control the triggers via tag managers like, like Google Tag Manager, for example. So you can do things in-house if you have the right skills, and that's taken away from some of the third parties. But there are popular third parties. We mentioned Yieldify before. Just You Know is a very good one as well. Uh, it's got about 12,000 active sites now, more than 1,000 in the UK. Needleandthread.com is a good example. We use it on my own site. Very easy uh, to set up. You can integrate it with Google Analytics, which means you can use data from GA to target people specifically, which is nice. Um, uh, make an offer is an interesting one. So make an offer is a, a, a special third party that lets customers make a cash offer for a product if they've abandoned, which might work well on really high ticket considered purchases where add to basket rate is quite low compared with lower ticket items. There are also specialist service providers like SmarterClick. I've worked with SmarterClick before as a disclaimer, very good, really good data targeting capabilities um, for segmentation as well. Um, what top tips would you give people on, on use of overlays and exit intent, Paul? Yeah, so I think I've done nowhere near as much as um, as you have in this area. But I think, yeah, my main thing is just, I guess, probably like the obvious ones really. So just avoid being too intrusive. And I absolutely hate it when I get an exit intent pop up when I'm in the middle of the screen and I'm not looking to exit. Um, and then also just making sure that there are no conflicts. So this is more overlays in general. But yeah, it really annoys me when I get conflicts of kind of data capture pop ups with some kind of triggered pop up or a cookie banner or yeah. um, a GOIP based um, kind of store switcher overlay. Um, yeah, so they're kind of my ones. I get. And also the only other one actually is just make sure that you track these things so um, it's always worth adding kind of an event to these overlays um, so that you can attribute it back to orders and revenue and um, kind of any other variables in GA or use any other variables definitely uh, one last thing I would add here because I've seen this uh, client trip on this before is because these uh, campaigns that exist on your site don't add things like UTM tracking parameters for Google Analytics or other tracking parameters for other analytics tools, because if you do that, it will overwrite the campaign source and medium. So if you've been trying to track people from like pay campaigns, you've overwritten that um, with your UTM, which is an absolute pain in the ass for trying to do proper analytics of campaign results. Um, cool. So, Overlaps and exit intent done. Let's go on to chat tools and bots. And according to Forrester, 50% of adults abandon a purchase if you can't give them a quick answer to questions. So having a way to help answer people's questions without them having to send an email and wait for 48 hours is critical. Interesting that an investor survey found that chatters tend to spend 60% more per purchase. And I know from having spoken to people who've worked on implementations at places like Shoe, they found conversion rate can go up significantly for live chat as well. So what's your what's your advice? and tips on the live chat side yeah absolutely yeah so um so live chat um I guess a lot of people use live chat and I think uh, for a lot of different types of retailers, it converts really well. Um, so we've, uh, I guess the 
the examples I've seen in best, like conventional live chat has been so high-end furniture. Um, I think there's some obvious barriers to conversion around the logistics side and um, yeah, kind of payments and all of that kind of stuff or split payment, stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I've, I've had clients where if someone does activate live chat, uh, that users then converted kind of two or three times higher. Um, I think these days there's kind of a lot more you can do with live chat as well. So um, one of the main points I've got here, so you've got kind of live chat specific vendors, but most of our clients now are using kind of broader customer services tools of which live chat is part of that. Um, so Reamay is customer and gorgeous, a free that are doing particularly well at the moment that are all kind of very e-commerce specific and have quite um, tight integrations with different platforms and also other kind of systems around the platform. Um, so they would give you more insight into things like order data, on-site behavior, email activity, um, as soon as you're engaging with a customer, be it via live chat or within a support ticket, et cetera. Um, so yeah, and then another thing that, so three of our clients are now using Hero, which is a really interesting solution. So that's kind of um, the main offering is uh, video live chat. And the kind of proposition is around, you would in, you would interact or you'd have a video call with in-store staff and they could kind of walk over to the product and show you the product and kind of answer any questions. Um, and all three clients have had really positive results with that as a concept. Um, and it's been very positive in terms of kind of AOV conversion rate, et cetera. But I think that concept of, I mean, as well with that uh, product, you can also do things like advanced triggers. So you could only uh, prompt it on specific products or to users that have met a specific criteria, et cetera. Um, but that concept of kind of um, appointments and video live chat, I think is getting bigger, um, particularly uh, given the impact of COVID. Um, and that as a concept is something that a lot of our clients really benefit from, again, particularly around AOV. Um, and then lastly, a few other things. So rule-based uh, routing or routing um, can be really effective. So we work with a music retailer that can be quite specialist. Um, and that's a good example where certain members of the different teams might be um, much better um, around kind of answering questions around a quite a niche guitar, for example, um, or specific questions. Um, and again, that's something that Hero does quite well, but I think most live chat agents um, allow for that at some level. Um, and then another, um, another example, when, if you are choosing between some of these tools, um, so historically, um, I guess people might have used uh, kind of a conventional support desk. Um, whereas now I think you can do a lot more with uh, a really well integrated customer services platform. Um, and a lot, some of these kind of newer vendors are also uh, doing a good job of kind of integrating with other vendors in the space. And we talk about this on most episodes and the benefits of this. But as an example, uh, Gorgeous has an integration with Recharging Clavio. Um, and I think Reamaze has a few uh, kind of different integrations and it just gives you kind of more data um, to play with and kind of various other benefits. But um, yeah, so that's kind of it for me on that one. Yeah, nice. And I know there's quite a few apps and plugins on on like the SaaS platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce Live Chat. There, yeah. there are many others. Um, other platforms that I've, I've worked with or had clients work with and had very good feedback on V24, Shu use it. Um, it offers both text and video chat. And you talked about video chat earlier. I know some brands, especially around really complex um, uh, products and, it, and in B2B, this can work quite nicely, that video engagement for a more rich conversation for more complex questions. And then Olark is an interesting one. I didn't realise 45,000 web, according to Built With, so a lot of the stats have got 
today in terms of the number of websites using it from Built With. Fantastic um, tool to use if you've not come across it before. 45,000 websites using OLARC, and then we're on 2,000 in the UK, including smison.com, the you know, high-end kind of um, uh, stationary uh, 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 retailer. So very interesting. Um, excellent. I, I think a couple of top tips before we close off is, is making sure in chat – if you've got a chat um, tool that's persistently visible but not intrusive, and you talked about the la- uh, not being intrusive before, Paul, but uh, it's got to be easy for people to find it. Um, you talked about making it pa- uh, active, not passive, so testing triggers, completely agree with that. And then having a default state when agents aren't available. If it's not available, don't just remove it from the site because then people don't think you've got it. Put it there, but make sure people know that they – a good one like Zendesk does it really nicely. You can send a message to request a callback so that you're not leaving people hanging and they're not having to wait to nine o'clock the next morning so they can do the chat. Yeah, and um, one more thing on that. So you mentioned Zendesk. One thing I really like about Zendesk, um, so I think there's some areas of Zendesk which have come on with some of the other vendors, but one thing I do really like about Zendesk is how you can do like canned responses. So essentially you can have like a help widget and then um, you can promote specific support tickets before you then um, allow people to contact live chat. So it kind of one throttles things a little bit and then also uh, kind of prevents any obvious queries from needing a live chat agent. Yeah, excellent. And I think kind of one of, one of the unifying themes I, I pull out at the end now of, of all of the these six topics we covered is, is doing something with new customers you acquire during your sales period because often e-commerce teams will acquire a new customer, they will then get their order confirmation email and be put into the standard marketing cycle which isn't enough. New customers need to be they need to be seduced to the brand and given a reason to stay engaged and given a reason to come back and buy again because they're going to be hammered by so many other brands during the sales period. So do something with those new newly acquired. So first-time buyers acquired during the sales period, do something simple. Like, you know, push them into your CRM program as a separate segment and do activation programs to tell them more about what you do, give them related offers, uh, give them a reason to take your brand more more seriously. For example, promote really popular content that's useful that other other um, customers like. You know, and depending on what what tools you're using, if you're using the customer experience platform like a Metro or Clavio or SalesCycle or Masters, you can set up a specific flow for those people. Even ESPs like Mailchimp have um, enable onboarding series using customer journeys that enable you to branch people specifically who are new so you could push you know new new email sign up even you could push people into this journey so think about that new user um any last parting comments you would like to leave people with paul no i don't think so yeah i think some really good um actionable advice there and also vendor recommendations so yeah yeah really good exactly all these vendor recommendations free of charge everyone should yeah. be uh, contact us to thank us profusely now um so thanks as always to everyone listening hope it's been an, in, uh, an interesting useful episode and feel free to reach out if you've got any questions on the topics we've covered or any of the tools we've mentioned